Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 has been the text that has been anchoring us in this series. And it says this, whenever you pray, every shall pray? Every shall pray? Online, type pray in the text section. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray. So Jesus is saying that prayer is going to be a part of our life. Prayer is going to be an initiative of our life. When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. And then Jesus is going to give us some instructions on prayer. Not that these are our words verbatim, but these are the ideas, these are the truths that anchor our prayer life. And he says this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says this, give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Last week, if you were here or you've been able to catch up online, we started a conversation that I said would have two parts. Last week, the first part was talking about the will of God. And we discovered last week that the will of God is not as complex as we believe that it is. And so we dug, we dug into this idea. I said that this week we were then going to continue on with part two of that and talk about prayers that then align with his will. So that's where we're going to be going uh, today. So as we close out our series, Your Kingdom Come, I want to I speak to you from the, from the subject Kingdom Prayers. Kingdom Prayers. Attaching to last week's message, and we're going to look at this idea of what does it look like to pray prayers that then align with His will. Does that sound good this morning? Uh, we're going to pray just one more time, and then we're going to hop into this. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for what it is that you are doing in this place. God, I ask right now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, challenge us, change us, make us new, make us better. Rework our hearts, rework our minds. And God, today I pray that as we leave this place, we are better equipped to do our journey of faith with you. We are better equipped to live the life that you've called us to live. And so we worship you. We give you everything that you are, er, that we are in this place. Have your way right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Uh, last week, we talked about the Rubik's Cube. How many of you remember that? Or maybe you caught up online. We talked about the Rubik's Cube and how the will of God for many of us, we have a tendency to look at it like the Rubik's Cube. That when you flip it around, right when you think you've got it, right when you think you have it figured out, you flip it to another side and all of a sudden you realize that you've got things still mixed up. And so our tendency as people is to try to manipulate it and change it and shift it the way that we want it to be. And for many of us, the idea of the will of God is super frustrating. It's difficult to, to realize. It's difficult to wrap our minds around. But last week we discovered that it's not as complex as we make it. Right? I'm just giving us a little backdrop so we can get into all the details today. Um, after last week's message, I was inundated with conversations and even emails about the Rubik's Cube. I did not know that you as a church were so interested in the Rubik's Cube. But I got comments and I got uh, emails. And one of the emails and conversations that I got into last week was actually really interesting. And uh, it ended up helping me out to, to approach this week's message. And they said that the Rubik's Cube is actually not as difficult as we think it is as well. And I was like, okay, talk to me. This will preach, right? 
And so as I started talking, they said, there's actually an algorithm. And Uche, who's in, our, who's in the background, I was talking to him. We were working out together this week. And he was telling me, yeah, it's actually, uh, it's quite simple to do. How fast can you do the Rubik's Cube in? There you go. 75 seconds. Yeah, 75 seconds. And he lifts weights like a monster. So um, anyways... But anyway, so we were working out, we were talking about this, and um, as we were talking about it, he's like, yeah, it's actually really simple. Once you understand the pattern, once you understand what this other person said, the algorithm, you can figure out the Rubik's Cube simply every time pretty quick. And as I started thinking about that, that's much how our prayers should align with the will of God. Once we kind of understand some things, once we kind of get God's heart, once we understand his nature, it's actually really simplistic the way our prayers start to develop because we, are to, we start to understand things in a different way. Prayers do not have to be as complicated as we make them. Amen. Come on, somebody. Prayers are actually not that complicated in nature, and that's what we're going to discover today. Now, I, I want to be very clear. I do not believe, nor am I suggesting, that the great vastness of God is simply brought down to a simple algorithm. However, what I am suggesting is that praying prayers that align with his will, it's not complicated. And much like the Rubik's Cube, once we have a general understanding of it, working with it proves to be way less difficult. The problem is, is that we complicate it because how many of you know we want the will of God to be this detailed outline for each and every single one of us? Don't we? Like, God, can you please tell me what I'm going to do, who I'm going to marry, when I'm going to get this, when this is going to happen, how about this, tell me this. We want God to be this magical genie that gives us all these different things instead of realizing that the will of God has more to do with his nature than it has to do with what we want. Us aligning our prayers with who he is and his heart for the world and his redemptive plan. So that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today. Jesus lines out for us in this scripture that we've been anchored in for the past few weeks now, what those prayers should, should look like. So today I want to deal with five prayers that we can pray, prayers that I call kingdom prayers that align with God's heart and will for our lives. And while not exhaustive in nature concerning God's will, when it comes to these prayers that we can pray, my prayer is that they would help each and every single one of us daily align our lives and prayers with God's will, therefore producing in each of us a deeper knowledge, come on, understanding, discernment, intimacy, and alignment with God's heart and his purpose and his will. Does that sound good this morning? All right, here's the first prayer that we can pray. I call it the prayer of glory. The prayer of glory. It is God's will that he would be glorified in your life and my life. I'm going to say that one more time. It is God's will. If you are like plain as day, I'm going to say this to you so that you can understand it completely. It is his will. Do you ever wonder what's God's will? It is his will to be glorified in your life and in my life. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. The chief purpose of our lives is not to bring glory to ourselves but for ourselves to bring glory to God. But let's be really honest about this. The truth is that many times our prayers and our petitions are to receive what it is that we want so that glory can be attributed to us. Can we talk real in church today? All right? 
But the prayer that we should be praying is the prayer of glory. God, I want you to be glorified in my life. I want you to be glorified in my actions. I want you to be glorified in my marriage. I want you to be glorified in my work. I want you to be glorified in you fill in the bank. His sole and chief purpose for your life and for my life is that he would be glorified. Watch what he says in John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And we're like, okay, cool, that's awesome. But there's a caveat to it. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So our prayers become aligned with God's heart and will when all of a sudden my prayers are about glorifying His name. See, Jesus is showing us that our prayers and the answers to them are designed to bring glory to God. Now, obviously, there's some friction with this truth. Because many of us in this room today and online today have prayed prayers that we would believe align with his will. Why wouldn't God answer those prayers? Especially when it comes to healing. Come on, can we all agree that many of us have the predisposition towards this idea that God's greatest will is to heal, right? Or change bad situations, Right? Can we, all, can we all just agree together today that our, the presupposition in us when it comes to this thing of prayer is that, well, if I'm asking God to do something good, then why didn't he do it? He should do it. Isn't that a, a prayer that aligns with his heart? Like that person's got cancer, he should heal him every time. This person has this. Hey, why doesn't God just take COVID away? For many of us, we get frustrated because these prayers we would think align with his heart and his will. And the truth is, is that while I can rationalize my way through this question scripturally, it still comes down to the ever staggering answer of I have no idea why. Here's my question for you today. Is your faith rocked when I don't know is the answer? And that's what I'm presenting to you today. And I don't know why he answers some prayers and not other prayers. I'm gonna ask God that it's one of the many questions. It's that and why cats? Like those two, those are my two questions. Come on, anybody with me, right? Lord, what's with the healing thing and why cats? It makes no sense. If you're a cat person in here, we love you. We love you. I don't know why he does and doesn't. What I've discovered, however, is that both in the answering and unanswering of my prayers, the chief purpose of God is to bring glory to his name. Here's, here's the question I want to ask. Does my life still honor God even when I don't receive what it is I'm wanting from him? Here, here's another question. Can I give glory to him when I feel defeated by him. Remembering that all of his purposes are, are good and perfect, that he loves you unequivocally. But these are the questions that we have to wrestle with because for many of us, our faith is predicated upon everything going right. See, this is why Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 would say this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything 
for the glory of God. That means I've got to do, I've got to do everything that I do for the glory of God. On my bad days, I've got to give glory to God. On my good days, I've got to give glory to God. On my whatever days, I've got to give glory to God. On bad marriage days, I give glory to God. On good marriage days, I give glory to God. In every single, when I'm picking up a piece of food or talking to my coworker, I am giving glory to God. The chief purpose And his will is that we would give glory to him. We talked about this last week. Glory is not given to God in the most spectacular aspects of our lives, but rather when we live in such a way that even in the most boring and mundane aspects of life, we bring him glory. Come on, am I talking to anybody today in church and online? Which brings us to our first kingdom prayer. If you've got your phone right there, it'll be up on the screen so you can sing it or see it. Uh, Don't sing it. Um... Don't sing it. Maybe our worship team can sing it sometime. Here's the first prayer. This is a prayer that I've written for you. This is the prayer that I'm praying on a daily basis. Here's the prayer. Lord of all things, you are the name that is above every other name. At the mention of your name, everything must bow. Your name was the name that is before all things and works in all things. So today I pray that your name would be glorified. I pray it would be honored in and through my life, my conversations, my work, and my interactions. Would you be glorified in the mundane and the spectacular? May your name receive all the glory and all the honor. How many of you think that'd be a great way to start your day when we just simply say, God, may your name be glorified. So here's your first prayer. I want you to take that and uh, you can have it with you on your phone, write it on your mirror, do whatever you need to do. Here's the second prayer. I love this one. The prayer of availability. The prayer of availability. Watch this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer of availability is understanding that he desires, God's will, is that heaven's agenda would define my availability. Every great work done for God has always been because of availability. It has never been about talent, pedigree, giftedness, stature, formidity, looks, smarts, influence, perfection, you fill in the blank. Not one of those things allows God to use one person over the other. God moves and shifts and uses when the person says, I'm available. I'm available. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. One of my most favorite pieces of scripture. If you don't know anything about this guy named Paul, his name before Paul was Saul. He was a psychopath. His chief purpose was to destroy the church. And so one day, Paul, before he was Paul, Saul's on this road to Damascus in order to go do this very thing. And he has a moment with Jesus and Jesus blinds him and he finds himself now tucked away in a home praying a prayer. And then this moment right here is us jumping into that story. And watch what it says is there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and watch what he says. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Get up, go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. I want you to see this. Ananias was the answer to Saul's prayer. The problem is is that Ananias still had the choice whether he was gonna be the answer or not. And it was dependent upon those three words, here 
I am. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming to him and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has the authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who come in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Sucks to be Paul. Ananias went and entered the house, and he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, this is a, this is a powerful moment. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained gained his strength. Here's what I need you to say. Ananias was not here. Ananias was not making a statement of location. He was making a declaration of availability. Here I am. Here I am. We're struggling with our kids right now. All three of them. I'll tell you why. Because I have not heard these words out of their mouth. Ever. Ever. Like I long for the day that I hear, here I am. Lord. Shiloh Justice. Eliana, come here. No. We have now instituted a rule in my house that if we hear no, the first time we hear it, it's automatic 30 minutes in your bedroom. For every subsequent no, it gets worse. What are we trying to do? We're trying to teach our kids that availability is the posture that we need happening in our lives. The funny thing is, is that for many of us, God is shouting our name. And it's not, here I am, Lord. It's no. Don't you see what I got going on? I got some stuff happening. I'm making it rain. Like, I've got some things going on in my life. I don't know if I've got time for you. Here I am. Pastor and author Mark Batterson said it like this in his book, All In. In God's kingdom, calling trumps credentials every time. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And the litmus test isn't experience or expertise, it's availability and teachability. If you are willing to go when God gives you a green light, he will take you to inaccessible places to do impossible things. Come on, somebody. The question is, is, am I available? I gotta tell you, my life has been marked extensively by this posture. I am not the smartest tool in the shed or brick in the wall or however you say it. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little Led Zeppelin kickback. <laughs> Pink Floyd, there you go, that's the problem, Pink Floyd. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> On my report card as a kindergartner, I failed skipping. That's truth. Least likely. I don't know if he'll graduate high school. My mom was here a couple weeks ago for our worship night, and we were just reminiscing. We were just talking back and forth, and she was, she was, we were just talking about like proud things and everything like that. And she's like, yeah, you remember like you realized like you barely passed high school? I was like, thanks mom. 
My life has not been marked by talent or this, that, or the other, but I remember distinctly sitting in a service like this, much like this one time, with some dude shouting at me out front, worship team going, and having this sense in my heart that, man, like, I, I want to be used by God. I want to do things for, I want to bring glory to his name. And I, and I remember distinctly praying this prayer, God, if you would use me, I will make myself available. You're not going to get the most talented. You're going to get the, the best spoken. You're not going to get the best looking. I'll be balding by 38. Like you're not going to get the best pedigree, but I'll tell you what, where you send me, I will go. Whenever you ask, I'll say yes. I'm available to you. So often, we are blocking ourselves. See, one of the greatest restrictions that we put on ourselves are our requirements. Have you ever noticed that we tend to have requirements for God to use us? I gotta move faster, but I need, to, I need us to hear this, right? If we require perfect conditions to act, we're not available. If we require recognition to act, we are not available. If we require compensation to act, we are not available. If we require specificity to ask, act, we are not available. Which brings us to the second kingdom prayer. Jesus, I'm available to you today. As you prayed to your father in the garden, yet not as I will, but as you will. That is my prayer today. My mind, my heart, my hands, and my feet are available. Do in me as you will. Send me where you will. Today I make myself available to you as a living sacrifice. And I desire to make your name famous and accomplish all that you have planned and prepared for me in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you to make that your prayer today and every day. Here's the third prayer that Jesus offers us, the prayer of sustainability. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, watch what he says. Give us today our daily bread. This prayer is acknowledging God's will to alone sustain my daily needs. See, much of our modern culture is centered around excess. Would you agree with me? Come on, can we talk real in church today? How many of you would agree with me? Show of hands that you would, you would say, yep, our modern culture is really marked by having excess. And it's not that stuff and things are bad, that's what we're talking about, but much of our pursuit on a day-to-day basis is the gaining of more, the, 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 uh, the accruing of, of more. Right? Having what we want, when we want it, as much as we want at any time. Let's be honest. This is the literal business model for a modern-day cruise ship. Right? Like, I remember going on a cruise a long time ago, and I was like, oh, it's 1.32 a.m. Let's have ice cream, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you go, at any time. That's the, like the literal business model for a cruise ship. And what has happened, though, is that we've drafted this experience into our faith journey in order to create a cruise ship faith. Predicated by our belief that God's sole purpose is to give me what I want, when I want it, as much as possible of what I want. Delivered exactly how I need it delivered. And the problem with great excess is it causes us to believe a false truth, which is the idea that we are not a people who are in need of a greater source. Have you ever noticed the more that we have excess, the more that we believe we are our own source? Look what I built, look what I did, look what I've got. And the problem is that if, if we've been breathing for more than a second, it doesn't take long to realize this fallacy, mainly because, how many of you agree with me, we as humans 
run out as a source. We run out as a source. Married people, our spouses are not our sources. I'm going to say that one more time. Married people, our spouses are not our sources. Dating people, our, our people that we're dating, <laughs> they are not our sources. Come on, can I tell you that your job is not your source? Your wallet is not your source. Wells Fargo is not your source. The credit union is not your source. The government is not our source. Come on, none of these things are our source. Our source is in heaven. He owns all the things. He has all the resource that there is. Everything that you need, he has it. He's our source. But so often we're not praying prayers to God to be our source. We're praying prayers to our job to be our source. Is it possible we've petitioned more to our boss for the raise than we've stood before Jesus asking him to do his will? We've prayed more prayers to the guy who's in charge of our company than we have ever Jesus. And the problem that it's, it's happened is, is it's brought us into captivity. See, Exodus chapter 16, 13 through 20, you love your Bible. Yeah. Tells us the story of the children of Israel being freed from captivity, being led by Moses out into the wilderness. We're going to read a portion of scripture and leading up to this scripture, you find the children of Israel complaining to Moses and being frustrated at God. And here's what they would say to him, Right? They would say to him that we had better food in captivity than we do in freedom. And so they would prefer captivity to freedom. And they'd be frustrated at God. So God's going to answer them in Exodus 16, 13 through 20. And he's going to give them food, quail and manna. And the Bible's going to tell us that that God would have quail show up and manna show up and they'd be able to collect. But the Bible would tell us that they were not allowed to collect more than what they needed or less than what they needed. They just needed what they needed for the day. That God's, that God's desire was from just collect what you need today. Here's why. Because they didn't need excess food, but rather dependent faith. And for many of us, the reason that we don't have dependent faith is because we have excess I have more than what I need naturally, so why would I need something from God supernaturally? But I've realized that when I'm not living in excess, when I'm just gathering for what I need for the day, all of a sudden my life becomes dependent upon the God who sources me day in and day out. He is my sustainer. He is my provider. He is my, and when things, when there's a gap in my life, come on somebody, the God of heaven fills the gap. And here's the thing that I've come to realize. If we are not careful, we can allow tomorrow's desire to cloud our ability to see today's provision. Here's another way of saying it. Much of our dissatisfaction of today is because we are preoccupied with the fulfillment of our desire for tomorrow. Let's put it this way. Is it possible that we are missing what God is trying to do today because we are so fixated on what we want for tomorrow that I just step over it? Which brings us to our third prayer. You are the God of all things. 
and have the earth in the palm of your hand. Your word declares that you are to do more than what I can comprehend. Today I ask for my daily bread. Give me what I need to accomplish all that you have planned and prepared. I do not ask for more or less, just what is needed to sustain me for today. I choose today to not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is a new day which you will author according to your mind and your will. Sustain me for today in Jesus' name. Are these prayers helping? I hope you can take these and they can, they can just refresh you on the day. Here's the fourth prayer. I hate this one. The prayer of undoing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And he's not talking about Visa and MasterCard. This prayer is acknowledging that God's will is that my heart would be softened towards others in order to give forgiveness. Nobody says amen at that part. Let me say it one more time. This prayer is acknowledging that God's will is that my heart would be softened towards others in order to give forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a two-sided coin. It requires both acceptance and distribution. Forgiveness requires acceptance and distribution. We have to realize that we go hand in hand. Why? Because we cannot give what we have not received. Come on. Come on online if you're with me. We cannot give what we haven't received. And the greatest measure of forgiveness that you and I can ever give is first supplied by the forgiveness that is received in and through Jesus. My ability to know what it means to forgive Rachel because she has offended me, right, first comes when I realize the degree of forgiveness that's been given to me in God because I am a jacked up, messed up, fallible human being. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? We all make mistakes. We all mess things up. And at the end of the day, when I realize the goodness and the graciousness and the weight of forgiveness that God has given me, all of a sudden in that place, when I realize who I am and what he's given, all of a sudden I can give Rachel all the forgiveness that she needs for me. Why? Because I first received it. Is it possible that we can't give forgiveness because we first haven't accepted it from Jesus? He's the blueprint for forgiveness. And forgiveness is the product of being undone. The forgiveness that you and I have in Jesus dismantles everything that our sin has created. Everybody shout sin. It's become a, a four-letter word in church recently. I don't know why. Everybody shout sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, sinner, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Social distance sin only. The forgiveness that you and I have in Jesus dismantles everything that our sin has created. Come on, how many of you would agree with me? Outside of forgiveness in Jesus, we tend to be a hot mess of shame and guilt. <laughs> See, but when it's when I've been in a place that I've been undone, then we can undo what unforgiveness does. This prayer of undoing. See, last week we talked about the will of God and it's so easy to get just hyped up and pumped in a message like that. As your pastor, I know what we have to do in order to move through things and so we have a message like last week, and we talk about the will of God, and I'm like, hyped, yes, and love it, oh, yeah. And then we start talking about the practical realities. And all of a sudden we go, oh, that's heavier. 
That's the reality, too. we got to grapple with this. I think we're big enough people to grapple with it. Come on. I think right now in this generation, in this world, in this moment, we don't need platitudes and we don't need nice things. We need to talk the real of the, uh, of the word. We need to talk the truth of, of God's word because if we're gonna change, it's right here in the prayer of being undone. God, undo me. Dismantle what has been created by my brokenness. Which brings us to our fourth prayer. God, you are a personal God. You are intricately involved in both the grandest and most simple parts of my being. You know all my faults, hang-ups, hurts, and offenses. You know where I have fallen short and have not added up. And all of those things you have forgiven me. I praise you and thank you for that forgiveness as it is the greatest gift I have ever received. Yet I know that I can hold on to the things that have been done to me by others. And while I'm quick to accept forgiveness, I can be slow to give it. Today I ask you to undo me. Would you soften my heart and draw back my defenses so that I can apply the same grace you've applied to me to others? I know that it is only through a work of grace that I can do the deep work of forgiveness and find the freedom that I desire in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, how many of you think that's a challenging prayer right there? But we pray these on the daily, and here's my fifth and final prayer for us. It is the prayer of deliverance. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, this prayer is acknowledging that God's will is that he would be my shield of protection by his power and his presence. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will, right there, according to the will, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, there's a lot of fear running around right now. Would you agree with me? I think the context of the culture that we're living in right now is, is fear-laden in general. And I get it. I'm definitely not a proponent of bury your head in the sand and, and not see what's going on around us and looking at stats and, and realizing the, the situations and the circumstances that we live in. I'm very much that. I'm a reader. I engage culture. I'm trying to figure things out. But at the end of the day, how many of you would agree with me? It's really easy to hop on the news right now and become very scared. It's easy to hop on Facebook right now and become very scared. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's false. We don't know where this is at. We don't know where that is at. It is super easy to become fearful right now. But what I need us to know and understand by way of faith, by way of truth that is concrete in this word right here, I have a protector. I have a guide. I have a strong man in my life. His name is known as Jesus. And notice what he says in Galatians, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch, he gave himself our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, he didn't come to take away the stuff that's surrounding us. We're gonna walk through fiery moments. We're gonna walk through trials. We're gonna walk through situations. But can I tell you, you have a protector. I asked my son yesterday, we took off, we had to do some shopping and then get him to his, uh, 
his uh, football game. And as we were driving, I'm trying to have these, like, he's 10 years old now, so I'm trying to engage in conversations that are a little bit, like, higher on an emotional level, right? Besides, like, Minecraft. So I'm asking him questions and having a conversation with him. I asked him this question yesterday. I said, hey, buddy, do you, say, do you feel safe when you're with me? Because what had happened is that we were walking through the mall, and he's like, Dad, you're moving really fast. I had his hand, and I'm, I'm ushering him around right? And there's people crowding around. And, and so I'm just trying to, you know, like behave and do all the rules that are being set out for us. And so I'm doing this. And then I might've been doing some aggressive driving as well and saying things while I was aggressively driving, but all the same, he's like, dad, you're, you're moving very fast. That's what he said to me. You're moving very fast right now. And I said, Hey buddy, do you feel safe with me? That's what he says. He says, yeah, because I know you've got it under control. I was like, that's awesome. He's articulating that his safety wasn't because of my size and stature. His safety wasn't because I have the ability to do a certain thing. His safety was found in my nature. And that nature attribute was you have everything under control. And I just need us to realize something as a church today. Come on online and in the house. I need us to realize something as those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. It does not matter what is happening around us. He has it all under control. He has seen it all. He knows it all. He's not surprised by it. He's not surprised by your circumstance. He's not surprised by your situation. He's got it under control. He's got it under control. So here's our fifth and final prayer. Jesus, I pray that you would go before me as I walk out today. I know that there is a real enemy of my soul. He is seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy. I pray that you would protect my eyes from taking in that which does not align with your heart. I pray that you would guide my mouth to speak words of life instead of death. I pray that you would guard my mind against the thoughts, lies, and feelings that have the potential to rob me of the full life provided to me in and through your presence. And I acknowledge that no weapon formed against me can prosper. Today, I stand firm on your promises for my life. Why? I want to read you this quote. Because victory is by faith, and that faith's power is prayer. When I be go before the God of heaven, and I get on my knees, I get next to my bed, I stand out in a field, or I stand on top of a mountain, I know that I can look to heaven where my help comes from. I know that I can look to heaven where my protector is at. And at the end of the day, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Why? Because he is with me, and he's for me, and against me you're protected and so today I just want us to acknowledge in this moment that God is good he has it all under control he's with you he has everything that you need for today in Jesus name